Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our Leadership Podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Let me just ask you today, we're talking about, uh, in our servant leadership, about being an MVP, being a most valuable player uh, on a team. And let me ask you all, did some of you play sports or other teams? Uh, and, and I was just thinking about this as our first question. Can you remember somebody who was a real player? That's what I'm calling an MVP and some who were just pretenders. Do you, do you know the difference between those? Yeah. Uh, somebody give me an example of a team that you were on. I know that, uh, yeah, Leo's here. He played on a lot of teams. Uh, tell me, Leo, what's the difference between a player and a pretender? <laughs> well, I, I think the difference is one that shows up, <laughs> you know? Let me tell you a quick little story about this guy. His name was um, uh, Granado. He was uh, he played ball with us, but he he was he was he's he's passed away. But he he was he he never really got to compete in the track or football because he just wasn't any good. But I tell you what, you know, I didn't notice that, but he was an inspiration. Later in my life, when I look back, he showed up every day. Uh -huh. He tried harder than anybody. He was flat-footed, couldn't run, ran like a duck. <laughs> but he, he was running. He showed up. He couldn't play football, but he was dressed up. Yeah. He was there. He was part of the team. So that guy, that, that guy right there, was an inspiration for me because he had the, the spirit and the attitude of never giving up and always being a part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh -huh. so that guy, there was some great players there, uh -huh. but I don't remember that. That's who you remember. And I remember him because I can still see him running, running like a duck. And he was way <laughs> behind, but he tried so hard. He never gave up exactly. and he always showed up. And, <laughs> and he made a difference in your life. He made a difference in my life. And <laughs> yeah, I that's so that, good. Use that to 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 keep going on my on my lane. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna discuss that in, in our in our discussion time, but that's such a perfect example of what I want to talk about today. Uh, these last few weeks of this class, uh, today I'll talk more about being a great team player, and next week about being a great team builder and it's really unapologetically my vision that some of you will build great ministry teams and not just be on ministry teams but i'm going for leaders here that uh, will do that and, and again the heart of servant leadership was saying it over and over is not about trying to be something great but helping create something great which is the kingdom of god and helping others become great uh, let me read again this is probably the theme verse of this whole uh, course, and it's uh, Philippians 2, 4, and 5. And uh, today, I'll just kind of read it from the message version. 
Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Um, hey, welcome, Mike. Don't Good morning. be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. <laughs> Think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. So that's that's just another way of saying, hey, be a be an MVP on whatever team God puts you on, whether it's your your family team, uh, your work team, or the church team. And and so what does that mean? Instead of trying to be the best, you're trying to help everyone else and the team become the best. And, and I, I've used this before, but uh, Coach Wooden, and I enjoyed reading John Wooden's book from UCLA, but he would, he would have this player, uh, Henry Bibby, who was no doubt the best player on the team, and he would bench him often. And, and Bibby would say, hey, you know, Coach, I'm the best player on the team. What the heck are you got me over here on the bench? And he would say, well, yes, you're the best player on the team, but the team is not at its best when you're out there because you're hogging the ball all the time. You know what I'm saying? And, and the question is not how good you are, but how good is everybody because of you? And that's the, the heartbeat of this lesson. Uh, we know, and this is stuff you already know, players win trophies, teams win championships. That the, the whole idea of team is so rooted in, in the scripture. And it's, it's always this idea that the strength, the strength of, of the herd is, becomes the strength of the one when the strength of the one becomes the strength of the herd. And the whole idea of that geese can fly 70% further, uh, horses can pull 35% uh, more if they're hitched to somebody. And I just love that picture, don't you, of shoulder to shoulder. And I can just tell you from my own life, nothing has been more special to me than when God brought somebody who said, hey, I'm just getting under this yoke with you. And uh, I'm just going to help you pull. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter if people know my name or your name, but we're going to pull this thing and we're going to go further and we're going to go faster because we're really doing this together. Um, we went to a, a little conference. Tony Cook said something that I really loved. He said, when God wants to do something in the earth, it starts with a leader, but it finishes with a team. And, and this is so, so true. A, a person gets a vision, but that's not what ultimately creates the fruit. In fact, Jesus obviously is the greatest visionary of all time, but what did he leave? He left a team. He said, I'm going to build my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build a superstar. <laughs> he said, and, and because it's a church, and the word church means ecclesia, it's a Greek word that means the, the congregation, the assembly. It, it's a word, literally it means an assembled group of people who serve a greater cause. And he says, that's what I'm building. And in any of us, I think that that's the mindset, and I'll really go into leadership more next week, but really that you could see, whether it's with your kids, whether whatever it is, God, we're not just, we're not here performing something, but the success or failure, and I think of this, 
you know, at my age, more than ever, the success and failure of Heart for the World uh, will not be the, the ministry that I had, but the team that I leave. And so that is an important way that we, we think of what we're doing. Um, the main way God heals our weakness is not to make us stronger, but to give us others. And uh, again, at that conference, he mentioned that <laughs> Moses had a stuttering problem, right? And Moses kept saying, I can't become a leader because I can't, I'm not a good public speaker. And, you know, the natural way to think of the answer to that is God heal Moses speech problem. You know, uh, that's, I'm sure how Moses would have preferred it, but instead of healing his speech problem, God gave Moses Aaron. I'm going to give you a spokesperson. And, and I think that is so significant because many people who are, are called, have you ever met a lone ranger Christian, you know, them and Jesus and, you know, me and God. Well, I, I, I'm glad that you think the whole world's you and God, but you are totally unscriptural in the way you're thinking. Uh, it's not you and God. It's you and God and a team. And most, so many times, God is going to answer the prayer that you need by giving you somebody to walk with you and to serve beside you. Uh, again, the... Coach Wooden said, a player that wins the game has 10 hands. You know, talking about basketball. I just love that idea. And so God brings us people. Humans love superheroes, but God loves a body. And, and Hebrews 13 says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared. And if you want to know Jesus, he loves the body. <laughs> and, and the idea of the body is that you, you know, nobody ever just kind of walks up to you and just says, man, you got a great nose or whatever, you know, that's not going to do it. What a, what a beautiful body. That's what the Lord is looking for. And so uh, this is his, this is what he's doing right now. He's, uh, if, if you were to say, God, what's the most important thing you're doing right now? And he, you know, maybe he'd sing the song, you know, the hip bones connected to the leg bone or whatever it is. He would say, I, I am connecting some people. And the most important thing that's going to happen is, wow, you know, I mean, I'm seeing some of you start to get connected in a, in a place that, wow, is allowing you to add value to someone who's adding value to somebody. And the chain reaction of that is going to be souls that get saved and, and, and lives that get healed. I, um, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I think the greatest, the greatest day of my ministry was when I really realized that, that the success that I would have depended on the people around me, that my success was who God let me partner with. And uh, I literally had it, uh, an experience uh, early in my ministry, and we've, we've mentioned Ernie Nadia before, but when he walked in the church and I heard him sing, and, and, he, and I just heard the Lord says, Dale, you've been praying that your ministry will be more powerful. Your ministry just became powerful. And, uh, and it was because Ernie showed up. And, and, and when he began to lead worship again, I could say the same thing about Judah or so many other people. But here's the, here's the idea. God's going to give you people that are more gifted than you. And that's going to be your greatest gift. 
And again, using the example of Sharon, and she uh, she was a, a little better team player than I've been because I, I kind of grew up real competitive. My, I had three brothers. Every day of our life, we tried to beat each other up. So it was hard for me to think of team. All I could think of is me winning and them losing. So, so it took me a little longer to think of, of team. But again, she had a, a, a lady come to her group named Ruby Ponzio, and she was like, um, she was like the teacher of the women's ministry. And, and the Lord just said, man, I just gave you the secret to your future. And Ruby is, is going to teach. And so Sharon just real quickly stepped aside and organized everything. And uh, the women's ministry just exploded. And it's that ability to see, God, we're always looking you know, as a leader, here's your secret. You're always looking for, God, you brought me some, some amazing people. And so every one of you, I see you that way. And I thank the Lord for each one of you. And now the biggest job I have in my life is how do I bring the gold out? How do I, how do I get these people not only in their sweet spot, but playing together <laughs> and to not quitting and all the stuff that coaches do. So I'll talk more about coaching next week. But I, I love this idea of the symbiotic relationship. Um, you know, the picture, we've shared it before. Charles Finney had this guy, uh, Father Nash, and everywhere he ever preached, <laughs> Father Nash would rent a room and he would just, he would be in prayer and fasting for days. And uh, what Finney would say is, is Father Nash, uh, Father Nash bore the burden and I just gave the message. You know, he just, he just cried out to God and that was the real burden of it. Um, you know, I, I like to tell people and I preached on, I taught on this at our, our throne room class, but really the key to you, to a leader is your prayer life. And the key to a great prayer life is your prayer partners. <laughs> uh, you know, I was just saying this yesterday. I have a prayer group that uh, meets here at the church at noon. And, and some of you know Miss Virginia Arnold, and she's been a prayer partner for, for 20 years. And she, she just came to pray for me. And she just kind of, she's praying over me. And, and I said, uh, and I just felt like the Lord gave me this word. You know, Dale, she just filled a whole nother tank of gas for you. <laughs> Your tank was about a quarter full and you were going to go this far, but now you just got another tank. And, and because of another tank, people are going to say, wow, that guy's super energetic. He's the super, you know, he's the energy bunny or whatever that guy's called. But no, no, I just have a prayer partner. And uh, that made my tank uh, one an incredible difference that it could be. You all know Billy Graham and, and again at this conference, just I just love this so much. He talked about these guys, George Beverly Shea, Cliff Barrows, Grady Wilson, T.W. Wilson. And again, I don't know how familiar you are with Billy Graham, but if you were my age, you grew up knowing that he was sort of a hero of all evangelical Christians and all that. But he had these people and, and I just loved it. The, this picture I'm going to try to get and put on my wall, but he had 
these five guys who are with him for over 50 years. In fact, they're, some of them are even buried by him. You know, I mean, that's, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, just, hey, we didn't just do life. I mean, we literally are buried together, that whole idea. Um, but, but he said of these guys, uh, and I just read part of it. He said, they were the heaven sent ones on the next page who propped me up when I was sagging and often protected me from the buffetings that would have scared me or scarred me otherwise. They did not back away from correcting me when I needed it or counseling me with their wisdom when I faced decisions. I'm convinced that without them, burnout would have left me nothing but a charred cinder within five years of the 1949 Los Angeles crusade. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that powerful? Uh, Charles Boulder says, few people are successful unless a lot of other people want them to be. And I just love to do this count. And I just ask people, you know, how many people really want you to be successful? Just give me your number. And some of them can only say a mom or a grandmom. I said, well, you, you might make it a little ways. <laughs> but there are other people who say, yeah, let me tell you about my 10 friends. And I just say, wow, man, you're just, you're just going to, you're going to the top. I can't, what can I say? And that's really what I want small groups or transformation tables to be in our church. Uh, the 10 people who are trying to make each other the best they can be. <laughs> and would do anything to lift the others higher uh, in their journey. So let's just go through seven characteristics of most valuable players. So number one, they are players, not just pretenders. They walk the walk, they don't just talk the talk. So let's just talk about that. You know, Jesus talked about many are called, but few are chosen. I like to say many are called, only a few make the choices. <laughs> and we know when we get to the throne room, there's going to be a whole bunch of talkers up there. Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? He says, you guys, pretenders, man. You were just pretenders. I, I never really knew you. Uh, you just you just were a bunch of smoke, you know. Uh, but by the grace of God, I don't want to be in that camp, right? I want to be uh, the ones the next verse talks about who built their house on the rock. So what, what, what are some... some Basic things, uh, they hold themselves accountable. Uh, I like to just say they deliver the goods. <laughs> they bring home the bacon. <laughs> they don't really, they don't just talk. You know, how many know somebody, have you ever known somebody, boy, they could talk a game. <laughs> and then after you got on the court with them, you said, are you kidding me? Wow. Anyhow, um, this is the whole idea of integrity. Integrity just says your walk is bigger than your talk. <laughs> And uh, hypocrisy is your talk is way bigger than your walk. And so that's, that's the heart of these people. Uh, I like to call them, they're, rent, they're not renters, they're owners. Uh, it's their house. When they come to church, they're not staying in a hotel. When you're staying at a hotel, you know, whatever you're going to do. But when you're staying at your house, you're going to make the bed. You're going to, whatever you're going to do. And uh, my mentor, John Wimber, said, if you're trying to build a team, he says, everybody comes to the celebration. See who stays to put away the chairs. <laughs> uh, because those won't be the talkers, you know. And unfortunately, many people have built their ministry on, on the hype people. You know, the people who are just, whoa, and I'm so good, and they can talk good. And, 
And then all of a sudden, one day you're facing the devil and, hey, where did they go? Where did they go? What happened? Uh, so, so that is so huge. Uh, this is a poem by Walt Whitman. There is a man in the world who never gets turned down wherever he chances to stay. He gets the glad hand in the populous town or out where the farmers make hay. He is greeted with pleasure on deserts of sand and deep in the aisles of the woods. Wherever he goes, there's a welcoming hand. He's the man who delivers the goods. <laughs> That's who I want to be. Uh, number two, they're mission conscious, not position conscious. They're, they're asking, how does the kingdom win? Not how, and we talked a lot about that. Um, you've seen the movie, Remember the Titans, and I, and I love that movie. And you knew the guy who, who finally told the coach, hey, no, let this guy go in. I can't guard that man. He can, he can do a better job. Uh, and, and that's just huge. When you're willing to sit on the bench because you, you want the team to win more than you want your name to be remembered, uh, you're, a, you're a player, not just a pretender. I, I love this idea that MVPs surrender their way to victory. Jesus said, lose your life to find it. Um, you can always tell people who are there to save their life. Okay, let me make sure my family's going to be noticed, right? I'm going to get a I'm going to get a parking <laughs> a parking place, right? I mean, you're going to give me the the seat. Uh, you know, my kids are going to be special, right? They're going to get to whatever. And and then there are the people who just come and say, God, I give up my life. I take up the cross. I just want you to get the glory. I just want you to be honored. Uh, you know, the whole John the Baptist thing, he must increase. And I'm glad I can decrease. That, that is the spirit of a champion. Uh, they complete the team. They don't compete with others. Again, we've talked so much about the poverty mindset, the team player, the crab in the bucket that's got to pull other people down that's jealous and insecure. And, and they only see winning as their own success. Can I just, can I just say this? And I put a spoil alert in the new, in there. The issue is not, I just be honest. The issue is not, are we a pretender or a player? The issue is how do you deal with the pretender inside of you? Because how many know we're all part pretender? Okay, so let's just get real right now. <laughs> Hopefully we're more player than pretender, but, but only when we admit I got a pretender side, and, and I got to nail it to the cross that we become players. And again, I have to just confess this because I said it earlier. Um, I grew up so competitive. And when I think about my, my youth, uh, I, I just embarrassed how, you know, everything was a competition. I couldn't even let someone pass me on the freeway. <laughs> it just drove me crazy. What the heck? It's, you know, my wife would say, no, you're not in the Indianapolis 500, Dale, just chill out or whatever. But, but there was just that edge about me. And it really, it was really a hindrance. And, and I'll just confess to you one time when it kind of came to the light and it was, I was uh, literally, it's hard to believe this. I was a principal at a Christian school for a little while, or at least the pastoral principal. We had a small church school and, uh, one time we decided to, to play a softball game with the, the teenagers, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know why, but I'm out there and I'm up to bat and these guys are just, you know, 
middle school or whatever. And, and uh, you know, I play in the game, I hit the ball and uh, this guy at third base is trying to get me out. He jumps in front of me and I just run him over and he's just a seventh grader or whatever. And, and afterwards I look at that kid and I say, you, you goofball, you're what the heck has happened to you? Well, that competitive guy, and uh, I'll never forget Matthew Abeda. I apologized and begged the whole school to forgive me. And I just realized, wow, where did that come from? And I realized there's still a pretender inside of me. All right, so now I've confessed my sins, so you guys can do it too if you want. Um, secondly, MVPs make it the job to encourage the other members of the team, right? If it goes well, you did it. If it goes wrong, I messed up, right? They're always looking to bring positivity. And I think we know this, but who, who do you love the most on your team? The team who's the most encouraging, the person who's most encouraging. You love the Caleb who says, we can do this. And you don't like the 10 spies who are complainers and murmuring. And I think everyone understands that. But... I like to say, whoever brings the most hope and the most joy in a team is the one that you remember. So right now, if you're serving on an usher team, if you're serving on a worship team, I can already tell you, you've got a few grouches and probably in a few, <laughs> a few whiners, and then you got, a, you got an encourager. And all of you, that's your favorite player, right? <laughs> the one who's always rejoicing and encouraging everybody else. I just put here a, a next one is they value diversity. They appreciate people who are different. This is actually a developed skill. And, you know, again, at this conference, they were talking, isn't it interesting that Jesus put Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, on the same team? Now, this is like the most liberal Biden supporter and the most conservative Trump supporter. And they get to go on a mission trip together. They have totally opposite upbringings, thoughts, ideas. Um, so just let me ask you, anybody know what it means that opposites attract? And, and uh, this guy, Tony Cook, said they attract and then they drive each other crazy. You know, that whole idea is I love the, oh, he's the silent type. And then they get married. And why doesn't he ever talk? I can't stand it. But anyhow, the idea that, that, uh, we, we attract with opposites, but few of us grow being with opposites. Most of us judge opposites. Most of us complain about opposites. And few of us learn to be better because of people that are different. And so I've often said, between my wife and I, my kids got one good parent because uh, one was more strict and what all this, but, but only if we can combine our differences Hey, good morning. And we're finally complete. The team is here. All right. We're, we're uh, and I just love that because that's a matter of humility. That is a matter of humility. And so what does the Lord do? He puts, he always puts you with somebody who rubs you the wrong way. Can anybody say amen, right? Amen. You get on a team and, and whatever, and and you say, Lord, this would be a perfect team if I didn't have to get along with her. And, and the Lord says, no, it's a perfect team because you're going to have to get along with her. And because of that, you're going to be refined and they have strengths you don't have. 
and you have strengths they don't have. And, and in that, if you're able to, to work in that environment, everybody gets better. Um, I like to ask people, can you, how do you do when you're with someone that you disagree with 80% of what they say and stand for? Do you just fight? Do you walk away? Or do you find a way to work around the 20% you do agree on? That's, that's just a huge thing. Under, under, D, under C, I put, they always remember the mission. They're always echoing the vision to one another. Now, this is what I just wanted to throw this out because, uh, and please forgive these notes. These are very rough drafts. Vivian will make them good later. But, but you know, this is hot off the press, like six o'clock this morning. But the whole idea is that teams work because they have the same heart and the same goals. You know, Nehemiah was... Come on, everybody, let's not be a reproach. Let's rebuild the walls. Let's, let's make a difference for Jesus, you know. And, and next week when I talk about leadership, I'll talk uh, about building a team. I'll talk about how often you need to share the vision, the big why. You, people got to remember why we're doing this. But what's amazing about an MVP, there's something about it when the players say it to each other versus just the coach. And I think if you've been on a team, you, you experience that. The coach has been trying to tell us. And then sometimes great coaches will just leave the locker room. And, and then some of the players will say, come on, guys, we're better than this. And, you know, why, why, are, we, why are we just, you know, fighting right now? And, it, and have you noticed that it, it seems like people listen more to, the, to each other? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the same way in a family. When brothers and sisters, sometimes there's an echo in effect that makes the voice of the leader even more powerful. And, uh, you know, I love it when just even in a church, you know, it's, it's awesome when you're, you know, it's awesome. Most valuable player, we're giving out food bags and somebody comes up and just saying, hey, man, we're, we're someone's going to get saved today. You just sowed a seed. Wow, that is just so, you know, and you're just saying it to each other. I don't forget why we're doing it. And, and I, I think of the nursery and Becky works there, but how, how many, how many times in the nursery, maybe some people forget the vision. Hey man, that single mom's getting to hear a sermon. She might get saved because we're holding this crying baby now. It's a bigger story. Come on, we can do this. We can, we can make it, uh, make it happen here. Um, and then I think maybe this was one of the most important ones most valuable players create a culture of trust. Teams operate at the speed of trust. You know, the number one reason I think most churches, most teams don't work is, is when there is division and when people are trusting each other. They're, they're, they're getting in their little pods. They're, you know, they're uncomfortable. They're suspicious. They won't open up with each other. And all of a sudden, the teams become dysfunctional. Um, reading the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, that uh, Patrick Bacioni wrote, all the dysfunctions almost center around this, a lack of trust between the team members. And they may still be going through the uh, motions of the game, but they're not glued together. They're not united. They're all 
in their own worlds because usually there's a wall between somebody. There's not good communication. There's a, a breakdown of, of trust. And so let me just tell you, here's some ways great team players build trust. Number one, they demonstrate commitment. They're, they're, they're someone who says, you can count on me. You can count on me. I'll always, you'll know where I'm at. And I just, this goes back to players and pretenders, but I just love this one. You will know where I am, what I did, what I said, what I will do. You will know, you know, and a famous Abraham Lincoln general used to always sign his paper, yours to count on, you know, uh, this such general. I, I love it because uh, any of you know Sue Yeager, whatever she writes me an email, she almost always ends it with yours to count on Sue. So it's the same thing. Um, you never have to wonder, am I going to show up? If, I, if I'm not, you're going to know about it. You're, you're not going to wonder, did I finish what I said I would do? Uh, I, I am committed. I, you, you can just count. It just, it's just faithfulness, and it's just there. And that, that is so huge. Number two, they just own their mistakes. And this is at the heart of vulnerability. Can I tell you what makes a great team? They're vulnerable with each other. They let down their guards. They, they're they open with each other. And, and this is huge. You know, uh, teams that are dysfunctional, they won't ask each other for help because they're too proud. And, and they'll be there and they'll be struggling and they're not getting their job done. Or if they make a mistake, they won't cover it up because they don't want anyone to humiliate them. And before you know it, it's just a total dysfunctional mess. But, but people who, who are great team players, they're quick to admit the mistakes. They're quick to ask for help. They're humble. They're quick to say, here's where, it, where it's at, you know. And they're quick to say, that hurt my feelings. You know, they're not going to go, you know, and talk to somebody at the water cooler. <laughs> Can you believe that guy did it again? What a jerk, you know. They, they're not going to do that. They're just open, they're honest, they're real, they're vulnerable. And, and I've quoted uh, Craig Rochelle on this before. Um, people would always prefer to follow a leader who is always real than a leader who is always right. So when they're not right, they know they're not right. They say they're not right. <laughs> they just are real. They make it safe for people to ask for help, to bring up issues, to say hard things. They're willing to talk about the elephant in the room. I believe that every team goes through their tunnel of conflict. We don't know we're a team. So we've said this before. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll know if I'm really your pastor. You know, like I said, pretenders and players, some of the <laughs> something you'll find when you're the leader, you'll have these people, oh, pastor, you're just like the greatest thing, you know, since ice cream. And wow, you know, and, and, and then you say, no, you can't. Uh, do sell your Boy Scout cookies today. I'm out of here. I cannot believe what a hypocrite you are, Pastor. Uh, I knew this church doesn't follow the Holy Spirit. Wow, I'm out of here. You know, uh, sorry, I'm letting some of my vulnerability go. Yeah, okay. My, my point is that somewhere you're going to be tested and the team's going to be tested. And, and, and that's when you'll know it. Somebody's been gossiping about who, and someday you just come out and say, hey guys, let's just get it out. And uh, you just get it all out there. 
and you get it on the table. And then afterwards, you know who the players are and know who the pretenders are. You know who the people, because pretenders are going to gossip and players are going to just come right out with it. And they're going to they're going to say, we're going to go at it and we might get mad and we might get all this, but we're going to get real. And we're not going to let this elephant, we're not going to carry the elephant, you know, in, in our relationship for the next five years. It's just going to, it's just going to be real with us. They don't have a defensive attitude towards correction. Uh, go ahead and tell me, I can take, even if I think only 10% of what you criticized is right, I'll take the 10% and I won't get all angry with you because I needed to defend myself because 95% of what you said wasn't real. You know, okay, take that to Jesus, but just go ahead and uh, can I just take it? And, and that's one of those testing moments that, that decides if you can make it through the conflict uh, together. I was reading about the Navy SEALs and I thought this was so important because they they are the highest level of performing team in the world, right? At least in military, such like that. And they have a whole thing by which they grade a, a whether someone gets to be on the Navy SEALs. And it's like less than 1% of 1% or whatever. And, and you would think it's, it's all about performance. You know, they're the, the best fighters, they're the endurance and everything else. But did you know they actually rate the trust the trust factor of a team member higher than their performance factor. They just very honestly say, we would rather have an average performer and a absolutely trustworthy team member than an incredible performance and an untrustworthy person. The trust factor is the most important part of uh, our formula. And, and so they ask questions. I thought this was kind of interesting. I, I don't know, you know, what I, they say, you know, I, I know what you can do in battle, but I want to know, would I trust you with my wife? Would I trust you with my kids? Uh, would I trust you with my most valuable heirlooms? Would I trust you unconditionally, you know, to, to be the one who handles my estate? You know, are you that trustworthy? That's what they want to know. Because Why? My life is going to be in your hands. So, you know, are you going to run? Are you going to, you know, I just trust you. And so, wow, that's something that is only earned over time. But what an important thing. And that's, that's why Jesus made the statement, those who are faithful in little things are the ones you trust with much. So you don't know if you trust people. You don't know if you got a pretender or a player when they start the game. It takes a long time. Takes, it takes sometimes months or even years, and you, they repeat it over and over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they could have really slammed me right there. They didn't. You know, they were like <laughs> Noah's son. They covered my nakedness, whatever it was. They, they had my back. Uh, they prayed for me when they could have just shot me down. <laughs> they, they loved me uh, when everybody else was walking out of the room. They didn't believe the gossip, what everyone else did. And all of that is what makes a most valuable player. Uh, we're almost done. And number four, they have the ability to empathize with others. One of the keys to a safe and trusting environment is very simple. It is where people feel listened to and heard. That's why we see we lead more by how we listen than by what we know. 
We earn the right to ask for somebody's hand or performance by taking time to listen to their hearts. Most valuable players choose when they're frustrated with others to ask questions and listen rather than to get angry and make suggestions. And I just, I just love this because it really is, it's incredible, but you, you know, the most high performing teams, they did a study like this is just was an interesting study in, in one book of infinity game. Simon Sinek was talking about that the highest producing shell oil platform, this, this is the highest producing oil thing. And they have all these roughnecks, you know, and, uh, and these guys so outdid everyone else in the industry. And it, it was so funny because these are guys, you know, you, you, well, you could just imagine the kind of guys who work on, on those kind of platforms and dangerous things. And, and they had to study these guys because they had the, the high, highest safety rating, the fewest accidents, and they produced like 40% higher. And you know what they did? This guy who was this big roughneck guy invited this lady who was an expert at getting people to open up. And the guys at first just laughed. They just cussed. They thought those were the craziest thing. And then they spent, made them spend a week just sitting around and asking about their kids. And here's these roughnecks crying. And they weren't allowed to say anything. The only response they could have is, what else do you need to know? And they, they said, do you guys think I'm a jerk? Tell me all the ways I'm a jerk. And they had to listen. And and they broke down and they, they, they all just became babies with each other. And, uh, and then they became the greatest team that ever ran an oil rig. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And what was the difference between them and everyone else in the industry? They listened better to each other. And you can't have someone's back until you know somebody's heart. <laughs> you know? And, and so it's this whole idea and, and this, is a, this is a huge thing because what I know about most leaders is that even most high performers is they're, they're anxious to get the job done. Come on, guys. We don't got time to listen. I don't care. Keep your tissues. Get over it. Let's get it. Done. No, that's the way you lose. Oh, that's the way you win because we just go at it. No, that's the way you have little trust. You don't ask each other to help you. You don't get the best ideas from each other. That's the way you lose. And uh, so we, we around here say, you have to be a family before you can be a force. Only if you become my family can we maximize our potential together. And so I just really want to share that when, when you lead a team, whatever it is, it's not a waste of time <laughs> that you had those long, conversations and you heard about their aunt Lois and you talked to no you are actually improving the performance that your team is going to have and so I just wrapped it up they have an MVP identity at the heart of all these attributes you know as I thought about it more and more I said why are people pretenders and and really you know what the answer is not that they're bad or evil wicked people they are insecure because they don't think they're enough. And so they don't think they're enough. So they pretend they're enough because they want to feel like they're enough and they cover up their weakness and they cover up their, their struggles because of a low self-esteem because they're a little person inside 
trying to make it in a great big world. And if I was to say one thing that, and that's why I want to do this positivity fast, all that stuff, the negativity fast, you know, that's, that's why I'm always pushing that because until we're positive about ourselves, we can't be secure enough to forget ourselves. <laughs> until you know how valuable you are, uh, you, you can't quit trying to prove that you're valuable. <laughs> and the whole idea of being valuable to a team is that you're not proving that you're valuable. You already know you're valuable. And once you know you're valuable, then you treat people with value and you're able to set aside your own issues quicker. And so I would just say, do you want to become an MVP? You're going to have to really like yourself <laughs> and you're going to have to let Jesus show you who you are over and over. And when you become so confident in who you are, when you have an MVP, see MVPs don't do something to become MVPs. MVPs know they're MVPs. <laughs> and because they know they're MVPs, they do something. In other words, they, being an MVP is not something you achieve. It's something you admit. And once you fully admit it to yourself, you begin to live it uh, out on behalf of others. Amen and amen. So uh, we have a few uh, questions here that uh, I gave you. And one was, can you recall, some, as I already started this, this teaching about some of the people that you've known on teams you were on that were pretenders and some that were MVPs, how, how would you just describe it? I want you to remember someone as long as no, never use their name and nobody <laughs> knows who you're talking about, but just talk it. Now, if they're the positive one, you could use their name, but I'm just saying, um, what are, what are some examples that you can quickly remember of a pretender and a player? And, uh, and just, just to get that in our, in our discussion. And then as we discussed, People like those on Billy Graham's team, describe how one or two people have, have made you twice as good. Can you think of someone who made you twice as good as you are in one area of your life? And uh, how, how did they do that? And, or how are they doing that? Uh, and, and how did you, how did you let them do that? And, and I really wanna have, ask this question. Did you have a problem letting someone really help you? <laughs> some, some people I know, the, the thing that they have a hard time with is just letting others help them. And so they can become all that they were. And then the big question is number three, identify, identifying with these characteristics we went over, which one of them do you feel convicted about and that you would like God to help you work on this week and why? Delivering the goods, being someone to count on, being mission conscious instead of position conscious, bringing positivity, encouragement, lifting morale, uh, being someone who completes and not competes with other team members, willing to surrender your will for the good of the team, creating a trusting culture by becoming someone who admits your mistakes and weaknesses, addresses elephants and listens empathetically. Or is it also just growing a strong identity in Christ? Which, which one of those kind of spoke to you and uh, that, you would, that you would most relate to or, or discuss? Um, 
I wonder, uh, Gary Brown, could you uh, lead the online discussion? Would you mind? And uh, we'll just break out and, and, and we'll just let uh, Becky lead the discussion in here, okay? <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.